the Tom Sumner Program. Old Fashioned Radio for a New Generation. Oh, it's always a pleasure to be with you, John. You know that. Yay! Oh. Oh, I love it in Flint! You're very astute, Tom. Not an easy question. I'll debate Andy Dillon on your show. Well, oh, that's a very good question. Hello, darling. This is Elvira, Mistress of the Dark, with Tom Sumner. I'm all right, Tom. How are you? Lucky Ciao, Tom. How are you today? That's a good question. <laughs> Hi, this is actor, comedian Jonah Pody, and you're listening to the Tom Snyder, uh, Tom Smothers. Uh, I mean, I'm sorry, what's his name? Oh, Sumner. The Tom Sumner Program. Good morning, Tom. How are you doing? Hey, at least I got the Tom part right. The Tom Sumner Program. Old-fashioned radio for a new generation. Our fellow Americans. Right now, the COVID-19 vaccines are available to millions of Americans. And soon, they will be available to everyone. The science is clear. These vaccines will protect you and those you love from this dangerous and deadly disease. They could save your life. So we urge you to get vaccinated when it's available to you. That's the first step to ending the pandemic and moving our country forward. It's up to you. The Tom Sumner Program plays host to the best political roundtable on radio every Wednesday from 10 a.m. to noon. Armchair Politics features great commentary and analysis about the headlines from local, state, and national politics with an alumni of world-class pundits, plus quotes, tweets, and those weird and wacky stories we call The X-Files. If it's Wednesday, catch Armchair Politics on the Tom Sumner Program. This is Mayor Sheldon Neely, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Show. Hey, welcome back, everybody. This is uh, part two of Armchair Politics, our weekly roundtable on the Tom Sumner program. Joining me for today's edition of Armchair Politics, we have our roundtable regulars on the left, Flint's premier political pundit, Paul Rosicki. Paul, good morning. Welcome back. Always good to be here. And on the right, longtime Genesee County Republican Henry Hatter. Henry, good morning and welcome back to you as well. Thank you. Thank you. And last but not least, joining our roundtable this week, the uh, 2018 Green Party candidate for governor, Jennifer Curland. Good morning, Jennifer. Welcome back. Thanks for being here today. Good morning. Hi, everyone. So happy to be here. And let's see, where did I leave off? Oh, yes, uh, it was, this is where I wanted to go next. Detroit Police Chief James Craig is retiring. He announced at a press conference Monday and is leaving the door open for a possible gubernatorial run. I have not made that decision. I'm not ruling it out, said Craig, who said he was identi- he has identified as a conservative and a Republican for at least a decade. Michigan Governor Gretchen Whitmer is running for another term, and a number of Republicans are vying to challenge her for the seat. If he got into the race, Craig could be the first candidate with statewide name recognition from a previous office to enter. Republican candidates who have filed campaign finance paperwork to run are Kalamazoo chiropractor Garrett Soldano, Allendale Township Planning Commissioner Ryan Kelly, Austin uh, Change, uh, Ralph Reband, and uh, Bob Scott. 
Uh, other filings hint at a potential potential run from conservative media personality Tudor Dixon as well. There has been widespread speculation about big names who might jump in, including former U.S. Senate candidate John James, former congressional candidate Lena Epstein, attorney Matthew Schneider, and Republican National Committee Chair Ronna McDaniel. Is Governor Whitmer vulnerable to any of these potential challengers, and if so, to whom? Hmm. Well, I, think- I was told about Chief Craig yesterday by a friend of mine in Detroit, and we had a really good laugh about it. <laughs> so that's all I have to say about that. Does, does, does that reflect his reputation in Detroit? Is that what you're? Um, I'm, I'm just, I'll just leave it at that. We had all right, all right. It was a very long laugh. It was a very good laugh, and uh, yeah. Well, it's not like there's going to be a stampede in the Republican primary, I and mean, from all those names but, being tossed out already. No, I want to. I want to press Jennifer a little bit on that. Was was the bulk of the conversation that that uh, that Chief Craig isn't really a serious candidate? Um, no, it was more laughing at, you know, that it's unsurprising that he's a Republican, but laughing at the fact that he thinks that he can run for governor after being the police chief in Detroit. I mean, I do think out of, like, all the names that you have on there, John James is probably the one that has uh, the most contention to both get the nomination and mm-hmm. to actually be a contender, you know, in what that you, race. Uh, well, I, I have to say, I scratched my head a little bit because, you know, unless unless you really follow um, the news and, and state politics, I don't think uh, Chief Craig is as well-known statewide as the free press indicated in their story about it. Um, And so I was kind of scratching my head at that notion that he has statewide name recognition. And I wonder the same thing about Ronna McDaniel. Is she she a contender only among pundits? Well, or or among the Republican base, she she might be for the primary. Maybe. I think you know, I guess yeah, I can see a I real mean, real catch fight for the primary. Yeah, I would say that even for the Republican base, you know, I mean I would say the average Republican in Michigan don't know who the chair of the Michigan Republican Party is. Well, she's she's head of the, the national committee now. Yeah. She's head of the and everybody and people know her around and she's a relative of the Romneys. Yeah, she, but she's that, not she using is. the Romney yeah. name. She's yeah, not using that the Romney is the thing name that would anymore. Help her. Um, well, that helps uh, her with it with the, with the, with the <coughs> folks these days. Well, I think there's a bigger issue here, a story that's uh, that's uh, being that's evolving. It's a change of Black Americans from being a monolithic party group to one that's diverse and reflects the uh, politics of the country, which you must have. Amer- black Americans must be, have the same kind of approach to politics as whites do, who we believe are, are um, decides how the system will function. In, in other words, and, you're suggesting that, uh, that African Americans should party shop and, yeah, they and should, not have they blind can make faith choices. to one party. 
I was going to ask Jennifer if there are I, a lot I was of going to do that. And thanks, Jennifer, for uh, doing that, Jennifer. <laughs> yeah. But, but we, need to, we need to have choices. Just like in a family, you have a mom and dad, and uh, they decide the collective uh, activity that goes on within the family. Not one without the other. But it's a, it's a team approach, and African-Americans must be able to work through team dynamics to, do, to accomplish what white Americans can accomplish in this country. Without it, we will always be the last person on the rung, as we have for 250 years or whatever. Well, you know, in terms of black voters, they, they really have gone from one party to the other. And for the, long, for the longest time, up until the 30s, yes. they, were, they were solid with the party of Lincoln, the Republican Party, began to shift a little bit with Roosevelt, and then a big shift in the 60s with, with LBJ and the Civil Rights Movement. Um, but you can take a look at the campaign, let's say, of 1960, and both Nixon and Kennedy were sort of... Uh, thought they had a fair shot at black voters in 1960 as they put together their campaign. So it's it's really been a shift for the last half century, roughly, toward the Democratic Party. Um, yeah. And frankly, I think that's one of the areas, to be honest with you, where the Democrats are more vulnerable, because they've often had 80, 90 percent of all, all African-American voters. And if that number should start diminishing, that could be a big a uh, big vulnerability for the Democratic Party. And a lot of but people have, a lot of people have suggested that the Democratic Party has taken that for granted. But oh. it's growth for a people of color. Certainly. It's growth. And we need to grow in this country so that we can converge to be the collective body that runs the country. Not this one or that one, but the collective body. And black Americans have never had a chance to do that. We've always taken the uh, <clears throat> the dominance of of the dominant party uh, in this country and been tugged along by them and live and all of our living I shouldn't say ours all of their living arrangements have been dictated to by governments through this kind of politics. It has changed a little bit with uh, you know people like. Uh Alan Keyes and Herman Cain and yes, now yes, Tim Scott right. and John It's been Keyes. going slowly, and it's still going. That is my point. When you spoke to James Craig of Detroit, that's that new evolution of black Americans. And by, you know, when the paradigm shift comes, and this is what I'm always afraid of, when the paradigm shift comes, it will be white people may be in the same predicament that black Americans were for 200 years. They're the party on the outside. And uh, that could be something that we need to think about and we need to talk about how we, you know, assure that we have a uh, sustaining American democracy, free democracy. Well, let me see if I can squeeze this one in before we get to break. Michigan Governor Gretchen Whitmer says the state of Michigan will attempt to seize any profits that Enbridge makes from operating the controversial Line 5 oil pipeline under the Straits mm -hmm. of Mackinac if the company doesn't comply with her order to shut the line down this week. In a letter to Enbridge, 
uh, Vice President Vern Yu yesterday. Whitmer said the state will pursue trespass and unjust enrichment claims in court if Enbridge moves oil through the line in violation of her November shutdown order, which goes into effect at midnight tonight. The threat comes on the eve of a looming deadline to shutter the submerged pipeline, which Enbridge says the state doesn't have the authority to require. The company has said repeatedly that it won't stop the flow of fossil fuels through Line 5 until a court or federal regulators make it do so. When might that happen? But guys, the governor doesn't have a right to speak to that. That is international trade, and that belongs to the federal government. Oil is a commodity, and it's regulated under the federal law. But the lease is with the state of Michigan. Right. Mm. And it has to do with the natural resources that have to do with the whole economy of of our state. Right? Like, if that, if, if, I'm not going to say if, when that pipeline breaks, and we have an oil spill across the Great Lakes, Mm -hmm. you know, Enbridge isn't going to clean it up. You know, they're not going to pay a dime to clean that up. You know, maybe we'll get, you know, a portion in a lawsuit, you know, 25 years Mm -hmm. from now. But, like, the urgency of this pipeline was, like, 20 years ago. So whatever needs to be done, it is absolutely the governor's, priority to to do something about it whether she has to stand there herself at that junction (laughs) (laughs) you know what i mean like it is absolutely the duty of the governor to protect the great lakes and to protect our state and our economy and and our livelihood the great lakes are international waters regulated by the federal government sure but that pipeline goes yes. through the entire state of Michigan. <laughs> there is a there is some point of that pipeline where the state of Michigan can come in and completely just sever that pipeline. There is absolutely no way that there is not a way to do that and it needs to be done. Jennifer, I'm on your side. <clears throat> but I mean to sound like I'm against you, but I'm not. I'm on your side. We need to find no, a way I'm just that like we can. Super passionate about this, like it needed to be yeah. shut down twenty years ago. <laughs> well, yeah, it's, it's, uh, it's, 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 yeah. it's been aged out. Yes, that's my position. Yeah. Well, I think they ought to get going on that uh, that containment tunnel. <laughs> yes, I do too. I think so. Hey, we decided that what a year ago, two years ago. Yeah, <laughs> I, I'm, not against, <laughs> I'm not against pipelines in the abstract, because I, whenever I look at these long lines of railroad cars full of full of oil, I wonder how safe some of those are. But yeah. certainly Listen, in this case, there's some serious issues. Look, there needs to not even be a conversation about a tunnel. Fossil fuels are obsolete. We don't need to invest in fossil fuels. We don't need to do any more infrastructure on fossil fuels. Our infrastructure needs to be focused on wind, Solar, hydro, geothermal, uh, you know, whatever we can do, we, we know that we have the capacity to generate whatever power we need to power our society in alternate ways that aren't damaging to our environment or our society. Well, and we're on the road to that, but what do we do in the meantime? 
and and that's we build more solar and wind. <laughs> you know what I mean? We like, do it. We do it we faster, right? We don't need to build right? a new tunnel. Yes, we don't. You know, we turned our entire economy around in six months to go to war in World War Two. There's absolutely no reason that like this urgency of climate have, change that has been going on since before I was born. Usually, I'm cutting Henry you know? off to go to break, but I'm gonna have to cut Henry <laughs> off. We'll be back right yes, after. Yes, you caught me on a subject. I'm Julie Lopez with Crime Stoppers. Have you ever wondered what to do if you have information about a crime or the whereabouts of a felony fugitive and you want the police to know but you need to remain anonymous? Well, here's what you can do. You can go to p3tips.com or download the mobile app. You can go to Crime Stoppers of Flint and Genesee County's Facebook page and click on the Leave an Anonymous Tip tab or you can call 1-800-422-JAIL. All methods are anonymous and if your help leads to a felony arrest, you may be eligible for a cash reward. Remember, your voice matters. The Centers for Disease Control and Prevention is working to help keep you and your community safe from the threat of novel or new coronavirus. If you have traveled to a country with a widespread outbreak of COVID-19, CDC recommends you stay home and check your health for 14 days after returning to the United States. Take your temperature with a thermometer two times a day. Watch for symptoms like fever, cough, and trouble breathing. And if you feel sick or have symptoms, call ahead before you go to a doctor's office or emergency room. Tell the doctor about your recent travel and your symptoms, and avoid contact with others. For more information, visit cdc.gov. Hey, this is Tom from the Tom Sumner Program. Catch me and a gaggle of great guests weekdays on Our Voices Radio, WFOVLP 92.1 FM. You never know who might drop by. Joe Biden from the Blue Hawaiian. Dan Serling. Congressman Dan Kildee. Alexander Zondrick. Actor, comedian Joe Napote. Woodrow Stanley. U.S. Senator Debbie Stabenow. State Senator Jim Annan. Comedian Brian McCree. The unknown comic. Mark Farner. And Tom, I want you to know Tom's my friend. You know, you've always got great questions, and you know the material, and you, and you care about it, and it's uh, it's that's impressive. Nice to be with you, Tom. And I admire you for reading all of that. I haven't read the whole thing. I've got willing to admit that. <laughs> hey, Tom, this is my favorite interview all. It's like having coffee at the kitchen table with you. Tune in Monday through Friday from 9 to 12 right here on 92.1 of a Kind. And check out our website at TomSumnerProgram.com. Yo, speaking. Oh, dear. Honey, our car warranty is expiring again. So soon? It just expired last week. You don't even own a car! Not now, Dana. Your father's on the phone. Hey! Mom and Dad, you're being scammed! It's a robocall! Scammers are using new technology and clever tactics to make more and more calls that look legitimate, but are hard to trace. They can make it look like they're calling from any number, even from numbers of people you know. My robocall crackdown team is working with state and federal partners to stop the robocalls for good, but I need your guys' help. Don't trust your caller ID. Verify you're really talking to the person whose number appears when your phone rings. If you accidentally answer a robocall, hang up right away. Engaging in conversation will only lead to more calls. Use a call blocking app on your cell phone that stops robocalls before they interrupt your day. And if you do get a robocall, File a complaint with my office online at mi.gov.
Facebook.com slash robocalls. And mom, dad, please do not give your information out to these scammers over the phone. They're just trying to trick you. Well, at least they call. No, I get it. You're busy. But you know, Janine's daughter is a doctor. She calls every week. A doctor. I'm Michigan Attorney General Dana Nessel. Visit mi.gov slash agcomplaints for your connection to consumer protection. Hello, this is State Senator Jim Ananick, and you're listening to Tom Sumner Program. Hey, welcome back, everybody. We continue with uh, Armchair Politics with our roundtable regulars, Paul Rosicki and Henry Hatter, joined by Jennifer Kurland. Uh, moving on to uh, Washington now, Republican uh, Representative Adam Kinzinger on Monday came to the defense of soon-to-be ousted House GOP Conference Chair Liz Cheney, arguing their party is poised to remove her from the influential post because she has consistently said former President Donald Trump is responsible for the U.S. Capitol insurrection. She is being run out for one thing, her consistency. She said the exact same thing that House Minority Leader Kevin McCarthy said on January 6th, which is Donald Trump is responsible for the riot, Kinzinger said at a virtual event hosted by the National Press Club. You cannot unite with lies if somebody is going to use lies to gain power and say let's have unity you can't do it uh, the Illinois Republican added we need to remove uh, Liz Cheney because she makes me have to answer questions that I know are false that's what they're saying the comments come days before the GOP caucus is expected to remove Cheney a Wyoming Republican from her leadership post New York representative Elise Stefanik a staunch supporter of Trump who has gained the support of both the former president and McCarthy appears poised to be Cheney's replacement. How formidable is Liz Cheney as an agent to challenge former president's apparent domination of the GOP? Hmm. I mean, if she's done one good thing in her life, that was a good thing. I'll give her that. <laughs> Well, I, I'm, I'm, I'm still saying you're going, I think we're going to see a third party of some kind, whether it's going to be a Trump party or the traditional Republicans. I, I, I don't see how they're going to come together by well, 24. I think you have to wait and uh, study what women do in the Republican Party. That will be the telling point. Uh, and I don't think that all women are going to oppose the Republican Party for its tenor that it holds for the uh, collective body of Republicans. So uh, she will, she'll have some influence there, but she will soon pass unless the entire Republican Party rejects her. So there's just not enough information yet to know how this will come out. And and the reason well, why she has, the she Republicans... She has told confidence that um, that that she plans to, uh, even in a post-leadership position, to challenge Donald Trump at every turn. Yeah, yes, uh, that and she can do that. Uh, that's what makes America great. That's what makes the United States a great country. She can do that. Uh, so, <clears throat> but I, 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 I do think... Um, but how formidable is she? 
on the national Well, I state. think if she's joined by other members of the Republican establishment, I mean, the Bushes have been anti-Trump. A lot of the other yeah. now traditional that, yeah. Republicans have been very much anti-Trump from almost from day one. A lot so of I, that I, has evolved. That's where the split is. Yeah, I, I agree with you, Paul. A lot of that has evolved. There's just too much. Uh, not The poor dots are not connected enough for us to predict that. But she is a threat here, and she's a threat to influencing young voters and and traditional voters and black voters and all of that. So she has a she has a great grasp on change uh, in the Republican Party for how it will look in the future. But yet, and there's uh, the Trump side of it. Uh, so we don't we don't know. And as the more we discuss these things, some of these things will become mute and non-essential and non-important as time changes because the American people get saturated with one point of view or the other. So it has to be done relatively quickly for um, one or the other route to take place. We don't know which one yet. Uh, But I I do believe that the Republican Party will sustain itself. It's an institution. It will sustain itself, just like the Democratic Party. But with and or without Donald do. Trump? Yes. With, well, obviously, the party is bigger than anybody else. It's because it's an institution. It's a people, collectively. Uh, and a lot of people don't believe that, maybe, but that's how it is. That's how we remain to be a country, to survive as long as we did, and to overcome problems that we have. We're an institution, guys. Don't forget that. We're not just a collection of... Yeah, but, I, but, it's, but it's, it's so difficult to watch an institution like the Republican Party, um, <laughs> which is made up of an awful lot of people that I have a tremendous amount of respect for, yeah. succumb so easily to a, a personality like Donald Trump. Yes, but the party has to separate itself from candidates uh, or past officials because it is the institution of people's memory, and it must survive for the next generation, for the next... Well, I think that's where that larger problem is, right, is that the Gen Z generation sees the Republican Party as a party of white supremacists. And the young people that are joining the Republican Party generally lean on the white supremacist side of things. And we haven't heard that when it comes to like the, you know, the next generation of Republicans, um, I think that you're going to see more extreme younger Republicans, um, and you're going to see more of a pushback from the younger generation against, you know, people who are openly white supremacist and bigoted. Well, you know, I don't, I deal with a lot of people, but I don't see them as racist. I don't see them as, uh, you know, uh, a clan or any other cultural group. Because it's just not, I don't see them. And they don't react no, in I'm, nature like no. that. They may react yeah. in collective groups, but they don't react like that in public. And all of this the stuff about supremacists and racism is uh, this thing about uh, racism and supremacy is driven by a single group of people 
who want to keep those antagonisms going in this country. You know, what's interesting is that usually when somebody loses an election in a party, they become almost a non-person. I mean, quickly, those who've lost, whether Democrat or Republican, uh, as president, were, were almost ignored by their party. What's really strange about Trump is that that personality cult is still hanging out. I'm, I'm mystified. I still see Trump signs periodically around the county when I drive around, and I never recall any other election where six months after the election you would still see campaign signs for the losing candidate. But, but I, I still see Trump flags and Trump signs yes. in front of homes here and there around Genesee County. You know, when uh, I was reading, when I was reading up on this thing between uh, uh, with Kinzinger kind of standing up for, uh, for Liz Cheney, um, I came across the phrase, and I can't remember who said it, um, that you know, there were 74 million people who voted for Donald Trump, and they didn't have their election stolen. They were outnumbered. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, and as I said when that was brought up, uh, the Democrats learned the trick to winning the electoral vote, if you recall. That's what he said. Yeah. 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 I had well, and 7 I million more votes. You know, Trump's sustainability is that he really made himself into a symbol of white supremacy. And when you see people who have Trump signs, I would say 95-plus percent of the time, those people, you know, are proud white supremacists. Well, I'm, I'm not a white supremacist. And I had Trump signs in the yard. I'm not a white supremacist. I don't believe in being dominated by any single cause or any single group well, Henry, or things like that. And I allow people to live the way they want to live without interfering with me. Henry has but maintained never a, throughout the never four years. I've never seen a personality years, take over a party in quite the same way. Um, uh, he's, Henry has, has been um, a supporter of Donald Trump throughout the four years of Trump's yes, presidency. And he has always maintained that he does not believe that Donald Trump himself is a white supremacist. But he also hasn't challenged the notion that that Donald Trump has been a magnet to people who have those beliefs. Yeah, and, and that's... Uh, and, and a lot of them are joining the Republican Party. That's not his fault. Well, I think, he, I, people, think, I think he likes people, to listen, encourage it. Someone Bye. who whose father was in the KKK certainly, you know, has that background. Well, Andrew uh, Johnson, our president in the 1960s, he was a Ku Klux Klaner. And he, has, he said, I deserve the right to change my mind. And so he, you know, passed the Civil Rights Act. Now, guys, come on. You can't condemn people for what their fathers did. But but on the well, other hand, no, Trump has not disavowed himself from these folks. They you know they were all good people and yeah, trail, yeah. Trail and so that forth. might be a weakness. Yeah, that's a weakness. He really he really well, could have told, told told him to get lost, yeah. and he did not do that. Yeah, yeah, that, he, that's he, true. He, that's he, a weakness. Trump has a history of racial discrimination as an employer and a businessman. So you know, um, that and that could be. I, but I have no I evidence of be, that. I think it could be yeah, argued. No, Sued by the New York Housing Commission or, or something mm -hmm. for real estate practices in New York in like the 70s. 
I but think Trump some not of the only things picked like, on black Americans, but he picked on all Americans equally. I think a lot the, the of things that, I think a lot of those things it could be argued similarly as it as I have with um, with uh, Rick Snyder when he was governor that some of those things were more economic driven than race driven but it yeah. disproportionately affected people of color and i think that's the well, point you know, that you know, a lot of i think that's the point that henry has tried to make as well. let me have more thought here and yeah in terms of trump supporters i got a couple of friends <coughs> who are trump support who have been trump supporters and when I, when I asked them about why and what their other choices were, I was surprised to learn that their second choice were people like Bernie Sanders or Elizabeth Warren. So, I mean, there, there is the folks who are just mad as hell, and they see Trump as kind of one of these mad as hell type people. But as I say, ironically, they're, if, if they didn't have Trump, they would have gone to Bernie Sanders. Uh, I mean, I'm not sure there's a lot of folks like that, but I, I know of two people that I've talked to in the last, you know, Six months That's a, a long bridge to cross. <laughs> it is. It's a, it's, a stra- it's a strange combination, but I think it's just the, the anti-establishment, I, I'm mad at the world kind of thing. I would actually argue that there's a little bit less of a bridge than you think between the Bernie Sanders people and the Trump people. Um, well, sometimes I forget who like, I'm talking to, goes. Jennifer. Right? <laughs> politics, but, politics is a circle. <laughs> a, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and I, I wanted to uh, add this last comment here. <clears throat> but uh, Trump has to listen to his constituency. You know, he's not out the, all by himself, nor was Bernie Sanders or um, the current president or any of the others who ran. They had constituencies. They had to listen to those constituencies. Trump was no different. So he spotted this constituency, and he tried to work with that constituency, not oppose them. But, and I think that, and, and, I, and I think in my mind, if I were in the same position, I would do the same thing. I would listen to my constituency. I, I'm going to have to stop that there because I want to squeeze in a couple more things before we run into a break. Georgia has joined a growing list of states declaring a state of emergency over potential gas shortages shortly after 2 p.m. yesterday. Virginia Governor Ralph Northam issued a state of emergency declaration to prepare and coordinate our response to the voluntary shutdown of the Colonial Pipeline due to a cyber attack, according to the declaration. North Carolina Governor Roy Cooper declared a state of emergency Monday evening, a move that allowed him to temporarily suspend some fuel regulations in a bid to ensure adequate supply. That makes a total of at least three U.S. states implementing emergency measures to ensure fuel doesn't run dry, Georgia, Virginia, and North Carolina. A number of gas stations along the East Coast are currently out of fuel after drivers aggressively filled up their tanks. Uh, following a ransomware attack that shut down the Colonial Pipeline, a critical artery for gasoline, the national price at the pump hit two, almost $3 on Tuesday, the highest level in nearly six years, according to AAA. The Colonial Pipeline, which supplies nearly half the diesel and gasoline to the East Coast, said money, Monday it hopes to be substantially operational by the end of the week. Does this recent cyber attack 
raise concerns about the vulnerability of U.S. infrastructure to future similar hacks, like transportation, the energy grid, water treatment, and more. Oh, I that think has always big time. That has always been the question. That, yeah. This is not a new. This is not a new question. It was electricity nope. and the grid uh, ten years ago, and, and uh, we are very vulnerable. Saw what happened in Texas earlier in the year, and so no, I think that's. In fact, the, the the new weapons of warfare in the future may be cyber attacks. Are you saying that big military. blackout in Texas was the Russians? <laughs> no, I'm not sure about that. <laughs> <laughs> but you, you shut down the system. No, that all. was that was privatization. <laughs> yeah, but I think the vulnerability is there. Yes. Oh yeah. Yeah. I mean, when we look at our, I mean, when I, you know, back in the day when I first started being an activist. We talked about the security of our nuclear plants. Yes. Yeah. But it's just so easy to just drive up to one, and you can just, like, you know, almost drive in front of it. You know? And our and drinking water, our portable water supply system yes. is the most vulnerable. Mm -hmm. All yeah. you got to do is yes. drop in one capsule of something into that water supply, and you can kill half of the people in Flint immediately. And I, and or, I, when I say know, immediately, or for I a mean, longer period of time by, you know, what happened, you know? <laughs> yeah. So we're very vulnerable. Absolutely. Well, a federal judge has dismissed the National Rifle Association's petition for bankruptcy, saying it was filed in bad faith in order to avoid litigation by the New York Attorney General's office, which has sued to dissolve the NRA for allegedly misusing charitable funds. Tuesday's decision means the NRA will not have bankruptcy protections, which it has said is needed to protect against a barrage of litigation the organization is facing. The decision from Judge Harlan Hale of the Northern District of Texas came after a month-long trial in which NRA attorneys and officials argued that their bankruptcy case should move forward in Texas. New York Attorney General Letitia James's office intervened in the case and asked to dismiss the petition, saying the NRA's decision to file for bankruptcy in Texas and asked to be reincorporated there was a way to remove the NRA from regulatory oversight. How will this impact the future of the NRA since they have to move forward without those protections against the litigation that's facing them. Sad. Perhaps, yeah, have, have a, no, have, it's a very substantial effect. They, they, they yes. may not continue to exist, certainly in the way they have so far. It's a grave that they dug themselves. <clears throat> well, but that grave comes from years and years of how the American culture itself evolved. They evolved with a love for guns and for self-protection, and the I, me, us. So, Oh, absolutely. But the NRA dug their grave when they decided to go the racist route and the route of allowing children to be murdered with impunity in schools. Yeah. Well, I've always argued that they were mainly a lobbying forum for, them for the uh, gun manufacturers and not even for, they, they used to be a sportsman's group back in the 50s and 60s, but they've become a lobbying group for the gun manufacturers <coughs> in recent decades. But, yeah, but guys, I cannot, their members too. I cannot imagine 
the American frontier without a gun. I just simply, with all of the wild animals and yeah, but we tamed the hunting. West. Hmm. I know. But I mean, stop we, and think about know, it. We we did. Our, <laughs> we our, um, excited. <laughs> yeah, we we've. Oh, I you say fantasize. I, that's not the word I want to use. But we needed the gun from families were twenty miles from home or or less. A mile away from where you live is tremendous when you have wild animals and you have to hunt your food and you're isolated and alone on the prairie and your wife and family on the prairie. Sure, we, we the gun became our second best friend. Well, yeah, but the flight option the became a lot more uh, a, a, a lot more of a, a reasonable choice. Uh, you know, once we got to the point where we could jump into a Buick. Yeah. <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, I, 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 I don't want to condemn guns because they have made us. They have served a purpose. Well, I, you know, you I, I've always argued those folks, those folks who are strong Second Amendment people, ought to, and, and also originalists in the Constitution, ought to apply it to only having the guns you could have in 1792. You know, muzzle yeah. rifles, that kind of thing. <laughs> a <laughs> muzzle rifle. Yeah, yeah. yeah. That, that, that would sound reasonable. <laughs> yeah, that would cut way down on mass shootings. I yeah. think so. Yeah. It's funny we never think about these things. Hey, one thing we don't think about these things, but they're logical solutions. If you want to have a gun, you can have a musket or a bow and arrow or whatever. But, uh, one, th but one thing guns I want mass to destruction is absolutely not essential. One thing I want to squeeze in because we got a break coming up in about two and a half minutes. But uh, this was on Paul's list and not mine. Um, the redistricting commission is uh, going to start oh, yeah. their public forums. Um, I think they have one today, in fact, or this evening. I believe so, yeah. They um, had, I think they had one yesterday, too, in Kalamazoo. Yeah, I, don't they, don't I, they I, have... I, I saw the list. I think they're required to have 10, but I think they've got 15 or 16 yeah, scheduled. Yeah, there'll be one in Flint in a couple of weeks, I believe, among other yeah, it's many... June places. 1st, I think, is the yeah. one in Flint. Um, but what are they going to talk about? Because we don't have any numbers yet. That, that's true. Yeah, I, I mean, you can know, you can argue that so let's make things fair, but beyond that, until you have the numbers, you can't do do much drawing of districts. So it's uh, I, I was hoping to, to to pull up some of the stuff in Kalamazoo, and I didn't get a chance to last night. But I'm really wondering what the nature of the discussion is, because as I say, until the census numbers are there, it's all kind of abstract. Yeah, I just have a feeling that all these meetings are going to be. Here's what we don't like about the way it's been done. Yeah, and and I yeah. suppose that some of that may be informative. Yeah, uh, or people are going to argue, you know, preserve my member of Congress's district, or we like this district, or we want to keep these these units together, this county or this city, well, some of that kind of stuff. But but exactly, let's say it'll be some general suggestions in terms of kind of the hard and hard hard uh, hard line drawn and drawing and hard nuts and bolts. And you know, uh, about just do something to get them like in the public eye, so that the public, once they like need real input, you know, will be paying attention to them. Maybe that. Yeah. You know, you know, that's I, actually a good point, Jennifer. Go ahead, Henry. Yeah, we got true. about thirty seconds. And I don't have uh, much of a problem with this issue, whether it comes one way or the other. I don't care. 
because as long as uh, democracy still functions, I, I don't care who it favors or in the circumstances because it always rotates around so it favors the other guy in the next instance. So... Well, on that note, we're going to uh, pause and let our broadcast partners squeeze a few words in or do whatever they do when we go to break. If you're streaming us, we have some messages as well. And when we return, Armchair Politics will uh, uh, be in its final segment. Always my favorite part of the show, the coveted X-Files coming up after uh, this short break. So don't touch that dial. Don't click that mouse. More Armchair Politics straight ahead. Hey, <laughs> this is the Unknown Comic, and guess what? You're listening to the Tom Sumner Show right now, and now, and now too, and even now. Our lives have been turned upside down by COVID-19. When a vaccine becomes available, it's critical that all of us get it. What we do as individuals will impact everyone's health, including those who can't get the vaccine. We won't get through this unless everyone takes part. Now is the time to get up to date on all recommended vaccines for both kids and adults. Experts say it's more important than ever for everyone to get their flu vaccine this year. And if you're older, you should get both the flu and pneumonia vaccines since both illnesses can make COVID-19 even worse. Vaccines are available at a lot of convenient places. So be an example for friends and loved ones and encourage them to get vaccinated too. We all want to reunite, travel, and get back to school and work. But that means we all need to get on board. This is the time to do what's right for each other. Get vaccinated. It's our best shot. Hey, this is Tom from the Tom Sumner Program. Catch me and a gaggle of great guests weekdays on Our Voices Radio, WFOVLP 92.1 FM. You never know who might drop by. Joe Vi from the Blue Hawaiian. Dan Serling. Congressman Dan Kildee. Alexander Zondrick. Actor, comedian Joe Napote. Woodrow Stanley. U.S. Senator Debbie Stabenow. State Senator Jim Annan. Comedian Brian McCree. The unknown comic. Mark Farner. And Tom, I want you to know Tom's my friend. You, you've always got great questions, and you know the material, and you, and you care about it, and it's, uh, it's that's impressive. Nice to be with you, Tom. And I admire you for reading all of that. I haven't read the whole thing. I've got willing to admit that. <laughs> hey, Tom, this is my favorite interview all It's like having coffee at the kitchen table with you. Tune in Monday through Friday from 9 to 12 right here on 92.1 of a Kind. And check out our website at TomSumnerProgram.com. East Village Magazine is the monthly neighborhood magazine read all over Flint. With support from grants, donations, and advertisers, East Village Magazine's talented local writers give you an in-depth look at local news, issues, and people that make Flint, Flint. Copies of East Village Magazine are available at many of your favorite shops and restaurants around Flint or online at eastvillagemagazine.org. East Village Magazine, community-focused and community-supported. Discoveries. They happen when we least expect them in places we thought we knew. And discoveries have a way of teaching us a little more about ourselves along the way. Welcome to Flint and Genesee County where up north meets down south. Home to Michigan's largest county park system and a vibrant culture. A place filled with discoveries we've yet to make throughout acres of beautiful lakes, wetlands, and woods and in the diverse city beyond. Where the uplifting melodies of gospel choirs fill the air 
where the work of renowned artists color the galleries and museums, where the fresh fruits and vegetables at the downtown farmer's market awaken our senses, and where the cultural center and planetarium broaden our view of the world. Let's spend a few days enjoying the wonders of Flint and Genesee County, where the joy of discovery is pure Michigan. Your trip begins at michigan.org. MTA Flint is nationally recognized for continually seeking to provide sustainable, reliable, and cost-efficient transportation for individuals throughout the region. Through work-related and non-emergency medical transportation and your ride services, MTA is moving people with future and alternative fuel technologies. More information about MTA Flint and specialized services is available at mtaflint.org. The uneasy feeling Rod Serling is behind one of those doors. Rod Serling. Rod Serling. What's this, the Twilight Zone? Where is everybody? I would have been headed for the Twilight Zone. Twilight Zone. If I go any lower, I'll be in the Twilight Zone. All right. Oh, but Jethro's right at home in the Twilight Zone. <laughs> I'm in the Twilight Zone. Now, having made this little jaunt into the Twilight Zone, I got a feeling something strange is about to happen in the Twilight Zone. Hi, this is Ann Serling, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Program. And welcome back to the final segment of today's edition of Armchair Politics and the segment that we refer to as the X-Files, those weird and wacky stories that are strange but true, and in some cases a little fishy, like uh, this Japanese town which decided the best way to spend its coronavirus relief funds was on a giant squid statue. (laughs) Noto... Noto, which is located on the west coast of Honshu, is known for its squid fishing, so town leaders decided a huge statue of the tasty cephalopod could cook up interest from tourists, according to Inside Edition. But Squid Station wasn't cheap. The 13-foot-high, 29-foot-long statue cost around $200,000. Some... Some some locals think the funds should have. This is my favorite segment. (laughs) Some some locals think the funds should have been used for actual coronavirus relief. One unnamed resident said the money should have been spent on medical staff or long-term care facilities, which urgently require support because of the pandemic, according to the South China Morning Post. My question is: Shouldn't there be an, an appropriate compromise? A Squid pro quo, perhaps. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> oh that's a great pun. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I couldn't believe it when that one came to me. I, I, yeah, <laughs> I like that. I thought I, I got to put that one in there. Um, but <laughs> here's here's one. More than twenty five cartoonists uh, celebrated the quirky holiday No Pants Day to help charities get clothing to those in need. Oh. Fans of uh, newspaper comics instantly noticed something missing in many of the strips last Friday. Pants. More than 25 cartoonists behind strips from Blondie 
to Zippy the Pinhead were celebrating the quirky holiday No Pants Day in a way that helps charities get clothing to those in need. Participating artists drew their characters without trousers and urged readers to donate... Um, oops, I had a phone interruption there. Uh, where was it? Participating artists drew their characters without trousers and urged <coughs> readers to donate clothing to thrift and secondhand stores hard hit by COVID-19. No Pants Day is held on the first Friday in May and is believed to have been started by a group of students at the University of Texas who thought leaving the pants at home on the first Friday in May would be a fun way to end the semester. A winter spinoff was created called No Pants Subway Ride. Comics, <laughs> comics creators have noticed that the COVID-19 pandemic has affected people's ability to get clothing and charities have not gotten as many donations as typical. Does No Pants Day run the risk of becoming the new business casual in the age of Zoom meetings? And was Porky Pig way ahead of his time? Yeah, and Donald Duck. Yeah, Donald Porky Pig, they were all ahead of the curve there. Yeah, at least Porky Pig wore a jacket. He could get into a restaurant. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Maybe for some squid. Um, (laughs) Giant California condors are rare, but not at Cinda Mickle's home. About 15 to 20 of the giant (coughs) endangered birds have recently taken a liking to the house in the city of uh, Tehachapi and have made quite a mess. Mickle's daughter, uh, Sienna Quintero of San Francisco, began posting photos of the rowdy guests on Twitter. She told the uh, San Francisco Chronicle the birds showed up at her mother's home sometime last weekend. The birds have trashed the deck, ruining a spa cover, decorative flags, and lawn ornaments. Plants have been knocked over, railings scratched, and there's poop everywhere. She's definitely (laughs) frustrated, but also is in awe of this and knows what an unusual experience this is, Quintero said of her mother. The U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service, which runs a program to save the species from extinction, responded on Twitter. The agency noted that the house is in historic condor habitat and suggested that Nichols try harmless hazing like shouting and clapping or spraying water. How would you suggest thwarting marauding condors? <laughs> I saw this online. Like they definitely trashed her day. <laughs> I'm, I'm thinking. You know. You know what might be fun. Um, mechanical guard ornaments like uh, some menacing pink flamingos. <laughs> A scarecrow for condors. Yeah, <laughs> basically. Well, let's Good see. Job. Budget, but much smaller than um, condors, right? Yeah. Yeah, these birds were were quite large. They're yeah. huge. Yeah, yeah. Well, I remember a time uh, back when I when I had the show at Kettering, and I used to go in early in the morning at five five thirty or something to be on the air at six, and um, I had a short drive along a golf course, and a uh, a wild turkey came running out of the golf course 
on a, on a collision course basically with my car. I mean, it, for all intents and purposes, I thought I was going to be T-boned by by this huge <laughs> pterodactyl-looking <laughs> <monkey. laughs> and uh, and and it leapt over my car. Oh. <laughs> Those wild turkeys are something. Oh, There's a yeah. whole flock of them in my best girlfriend's neighborhood. Yeah, I at, at first, out of the corner of my eye, I thought a squirrel was going to run out in front of the car. And I turned, and here's here's this gangly, pterodactyl, prehistoric-looking <laughs> turkey hobbling toward me. <laughs> and well, it started I, I, me pretty good. I go out to Formar for a walk all the time, and there's there's a lot of them out there all year long. There's quite a quite a large flock that show up and wander around that place. Well, that wraps it up for uh, today's edition of Armchair Politics, and uh, uh, I want to, of course, say thank you to Jennifer Curlin, the uh, 2018 Green Party candidate for governor in Michigan, for joining us once again. Jennifer, it's always a pleasure when you can spend time with us. Always a pleasure. Thanks, Tom, Paul, Henry. Always lovely to chat with you guys. And, Good to have you, Jennifer. And, of course, our roundtable regulars, uh, Paul Rosicki on the left and Henry Hatter on the right. Thank you both so much for making always, this. Always good to be here. And I'd like to say to Jennifer, I really think that she truly represents a, a black agenda that I ought to respect, yeah. support them, and, and she keeps me in grace with my own culture. Thank you. Aww. Um, well, we've got about, uh, oh, just under two minutes left. Any uh, any final thoughts or comments? I was just watching the news to see whether or not uh, uh, they did the, they made a decision on Cheney yet. I've not seen any news coverage on that, so I'm not sure it's happened. But uh, I'm sitting in front of my computer wondering whether or not it was about to take place. Yeah, I, I don't, don't see any news yet. We'll be watching. I don't see any news yet. Well, yeah, that, you know, I'll just mention because we have a couple minutes. You know, the what's going on in um, you know Gaza with the, the bombings <clears throat> and the strikes and the murder of children is is really atrocious. I, you know, I was afraid to to get into that today until there's a little bit more information, but. I am curious about what kinds of things are going to begin happening in the Middle East in the yeah. wake of uh, the drawdown of American troops as, as they yeah. get I mean, pulled out. This morning they were calling it, you know, that it could turn into something like the 2014 war um, yeah. in Gaza. Very, yeah, very worrisome. It's a very bad decision. Very bad. On both the part of the Republicans and the Democrats. That's a very bad decision. Mm-hmm. And it threatens the country, and it threatens the American people and their interest in the Middle East. Oh, I also want to squeeze in a uh, thank you to my guest from the first hour this morning, Howard Burton, the founder and creator of Ideas Roadshow, talking about his uh, his most recent book, Exceptionally Upsetting, How Americans Are Increasingly Confusing Knowledge with Opinions and What Can Be Done About It. It's an interesting conversation. If you wow. missed it, it's... Um, you know, it'll be up soon in the archive, and of course, the show will be repeating all day. Thank you all again. Thank you. Bye, Jennifer. Thank bye you. Bye. Have, bye. A, have a good afternoon. Have a good Thank day. You. Good day. Bye. And thanks to all the people who tuned in, and uh, Bobby Clayton Walton for calling in uh, during the first hour to talk with Howard. 
And that's Smoking George Winters tickling the ivories and letting me know it's time to head on down the hall to the living room. But uh, I'll be back tomorrow morning at 9 o'clock with another edition of the Tom Sumner program. So be safe, be well, and uh, join us tomorrow. Good night, everybody. The Tom Sumner program is a live variety show. We want to acknowledge all of our guests who play such an important role in the show and our cavalcade of cohorts from coast to coast for their regular contributions. Most of the musical accompaniment was provided by people in or from the Flint area. Many of the pre-recorded portions of the Tom Sumner program are made possible by Flint's own Steve McComb and Pencil Sketch Recording in Nashville, Tennessee. If you have comments, questions or suggestions about the show, find us on Facebook. This is Prue Clearwater. Join us next time for another edition of the Tom Sumner Program. And thanks for listening.